So in this uh, whole series that we've been studying, teaching us uh, just the significance of giving Christmas away, with an end result that all year we'll be uh, running an initiative to give away next Christmas uh, to people who serve us all year round. And in the midst of doing this, uh, really continue to perpetuate the joy of of giving. In the middle of this series, we, we looked at how God gave himself around this uh, first advent by sending his only son. First, how he went to the down and out. And we talked about the shepherds. Uh, they got included. They were outcasts in Israel. And then to the up and in, to those who gave gifts to the kings, who knew the kings, to the academics, to the scholars, he ministered to them, and the Magi were included, and they brought very great gifts of wealth to Christ. And then today, we're looking about uh, not how God chose a group of people to get involved in the Christmas story, but how he got up close and personal with an individual. And first, I want to say to you, God does want to get up close and personal in your life. That's uncomfortable all by itself, isn't it? I tell you in, in my own family, in times in our life, if you'd have told my father, God wants to get up close and personal with you, he had two vocations over his life. He was a sailor and a truck driver. So I'm not going to say in church what would likely have been the answer coming back at you about how, you know, this religious stuff is going to get up close and personal in your life. Dad wouldn't have gone for that. No, no, no. And uh, Or I think it would be a great kick if you could have told the principal at R.D. Wood School that, uh, that old Smith here got up close and personal and wound up being a preacher. She always used to say to me in detention, she ran the detention saying, she said, Ronnie Smith, my two boys, I pray for them, and my boys in detention turn out to be one of two things, either cops or preachers. Yeah, well, hi. My name. Uh, that was a praying woman. She never married, but she gave her life to kids in the inner city in, in Millville, New Jersey. And uh, I believe probably she prayed me into the kingdom. There wasn't a Christian in my family. Now my family, my nuclear family of two sisters and brother and my mother and father are all Christians. God wants to get up close and, and personal with you about this thing around Christmas. Now nobody, and I mean nobody, got that more than the character of Joseph. For heaven's sakes, he just wanted to marry his fiancée and go to trade school. And guess what? She presents herself to him pregnant. And she says, it's with the child of God. Talk about a guy that needs a little grace. That's the guy that needs a little grace. That's a life, not just a life changer, really. I want you to think about Joseph. That's a life wrecker, isn't it? Huh? That's a life wrecker. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I don't even know how to process that in my heart. I did think for the first time in the last two days 
a new thought about Joseph. And that is, he must have had good taste in women. Because God chose his to be the most blessed in the history of the world. She was a woman of great virtue. That's good if you have to tell the story to your fiancé that she had to tell, right? How many times did he have to rely on her character, on whether it was history's biggest hoax or whether it was the first sacred step of getting people on board to be the holy family. It took a lot of work to get a holy family. A lot of work. And uh, by the way, I know it, it took a lot of work even to put the holy family out in front of the church. And I, I want to thank you for doing it. Took, took an end loader, didn't it? And then several hearty people here in the congregation I don't want to thank you because it looks great. But to cut through it all, how do you get to the first guy? And if he becomes the sermon illustration today that God wants to be up close and personal to you, I've got to tell you that God sometimes can be a great plan wrecker. Yeah, you heard it right. The preacher said plan wrecker. Today in the first service, I was sitting there looking at Bob and Jenny Besky on the third row. And when I said, sometimes to get to God's plan, it's a big deal. See, a mother and a father have to hear a daughter say, I went to that mission program in Urbana and I want to be a missionary. And so mom and dad, instead of being with you, though I love you with all my heart, I'm moving to Africa. Yeah. That's the one thought no mother and father wants to hear from their own family. Yeah, I know. I started thinking about that in junior high as I have two daughters, and uh, wow, kind of blows my mind. Lord, what am I going to say when my daughter walks up and says, Dad, I love you and Mom, but you're not going to be seeing me. I'm going on the mission field. And so right in our own congregation, I can name families that know when it comes to the plan of God, sometimes God gets up close and personal. It's not convenient. It was a, a train wreck for Joseph. Why did God have to choose my woman of all women in the history of the world? What are the chances of that, that God in the history of the world, the God who says is really outside of time, all of a sudden puts his finger inside of time and it lands not on your map, it lands on your heart. How do you respond to God? You want to be part of a big, big story? I told a story in the first service and I'll repeat it. And uh, It's kind of a tough story because it was emotional, but my dad uh, later in his life did come to Jesus Christ, but it was slow going, man. He didn't, he, didn't want, he didn't want any of the funny religious stuff. And if you looked like you were going to hug him in the morning worship service, he was ready to hit the door, man. He, he wanted no part of that. And uh, I mean, I can remember one of the guest pastors said, uh, you know, in the time of passing the peace to greeting, rub your neighbor's shoulders. My dad called a meeting of his sons and he wanted to take the guest preacher out. You know, you, my dad we're in fellowship and covenant with them. Well, you can't do that. I'm not rubbing somebody else's back in church, you know. 
No, no, I get it. I, I get things like that. But my dad did accept Christ, and it was the real deal, and Jesus was beginning to lead my father in baby steps, and he got to an impasse. He was over by Camden and uh, driving his tractor trailer, and a 26-year-old jumped off a bridge and timed it so that my dad would hit him head on with uh, the tractor trailer, and they had to medevac the guy to the trauma center, and uh, it, it blew my dad's mind, blew his mind. He, he got so, uh, I guess the word I'd use is morose, so saddened that he was just like a stone sitting there. And uh, my mom called for some help and she said, Doug, Ron, you guys got to come. I mean, dad is in a bad, bad way. And we got there and he was in a, a bad, bad way. He could hardly talk. Hard to get a sentence out. He said to my brother and to me, would you guys go see him? He's going to die, I think, you know. And so we went over. But the amazing thing is, uh, even though he was in immense pain in a body cast, they felt like his vitals were getting better, not worse. But uh, we read the guy, scripture, had prayer with him, not a lot of you know, a lot of response or anything. But that didn't make my dad better because God was asking my dad something up close and personal. Maybe my dad uh, wouldn't have said it was like Joseph, but it probably felt like Joseph. It was a train wreck in his life. See, God wanted my dad. We didn't want any part of talking about any religious stuff to go and to tell that guy about Jesus because for whatever the reason God had my father there a Christian truck driver at a time when a man was going to take his life a young man my dad went he said he got there he was halfway through a sentence he couldn't talk anymore all he could do was sit there and weep but as my dad sat there and wept beside that guy. The guy got it. He asked my father if he would come back. And uh, my dad did go back. And he was able to talk to the guy. But the amazing thing is, all that emotion that my dad had was a clear message. <laughs> you know, I give you... I'll give you this, and it's not going to excite any of you, but it's important. As an academic, it's important. There was a guy named Heinrich Bullinger. Aren't you excited to know that name, Heinrich Bullinger? I see pens flying out of purses all over the place. Man, we're, you're going to write this one down. Go tell him. Heinrich Bullinger wrote uh, a series of books about his conversion. It turned out to be 119 volumes. Huh? You think I'm long, don't you? Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was called The Decades. And, and Bulliger was this famous pastor, and he wrote a creed of Christendom. And the significant thing about this guy's name is he's the only guy ever to have written a creed of Christendom as one person instead of a council of theologians. And it's called the Second 
Helvetic confession. Isn't that exciting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, 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 just for fun, I'll tell you my, I wrote it as a thesis at Princeton University. Heinrich Bullinger's Advocacy for the Orthodoxy of the Lawfully Called in the Second Helvetic Confession. That's the name of the thesis. <laughs> Ushers, block the door. I'm afraid they're going to stampede. <laughs> Please. Uh, and there's one line in this Second Helvetic Confession I, wanna, I want to get academically in this service of worship. And it's this. When a lawfully ordained minister of the Word of God speaks from the Word of God, his words become the Word of God. I think Bullinger just fell a little bit short because I don't want to say when a lawfully ordained minister. I want to say when a human being called by God dares to obey God, they become the hand, the feet, the voice of God. All my dad could do was no sermon. He sat and, sat and wept. But today, there's a man who's alive that didn't want to be alive, and he's transformed because the world gets it when they see the price that people pay to get involved up close and personal in the Word of God. And you know something? We could extend this series of uh, sermons and let several of you from across the congregation stand up and give the next message that proves that this one is a bullseye right there. Joseph was just going to be a carpenter for heaven's sake, but that's okay. He was God's carpenter, married to the woman God had chosen to bear his only begotten son in the flesh. And the history of the world is different, way different, because of uh, that one. The Bible says that uh, God said to Joseph, I want you to marry that woman. <laughs> don't put her away. And don't think that you'll be doing anybody a favor by not disgracing her. Marry her. Then I want you to name the baby that is my baby. I want his name to be Jesus. Well, Joseph married Mary. He married her. Mary had God's baby, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The baby is born, and Joseph said, his name is Jesus. And then a bigger train wreck. Later in another scripture passage, God says to Joseph, you got to move to Egypt. What? The carpenter's shop is in Nazareth. Move to Egypt. They're going to try to kill him. And to Egypt he went. Because the Bible says Joseph obeyed the Lord. <laughs> you know, when I first accepted Christ, I thought just like my dad, maybe I could get off easy. 
You know, when I was with this crowd, and believe me, this crowd didn't want to hear anything about Jesus, you know, I could kind of be neutral in that crowd. And when it got to this crowd and it came time to do the kind of things in our group that Mike Ralph asks all of you young people to do in your group, that'd be okay. But I was playing in a rock band, and the rock band, uh, you know, had a lot of brass in it, and we had a set we did by Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and I'm up there singing this song to a crowd of people, you know, and they're having fun and dancing and stuff. But it hit me for the first time because I made a commitment to Jesus Christ. And I'm singing this song from Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I can swear there ain't no heaven. And I pray there ain't no hell. And the Holy Spirit says, you don't believe that. Now, why is he in my business like that? I mean, Lord, I think he should have just left the old Millville boy alone. But he, he climbed in my backyard, right into my heart and into my head, and said, I don't think you ought to sing what you don't believe. And I said, don't you think that's fanaticism, Lord? I mean, it's just a song from the radio, for heaven's sakes. He said, is it? And I said, oh, no. What are you going to have me do next, back masking Def Leppard or something? I, don't, I, I just... Uh, it, it, it didn't sit easily with me, and I sang it again, and it bothered me worse. And so I went to my best friend, who had, had been my best friend for years, and he played trumpet in my band, and I said, hey, I can't sing that song anymore. you got to get a different lead. And I just thought he'd say, yeah, I could have told you that. But anyway, he, he, uh, he said, Ron, you got to sing that song and if you're not willing to do our songs, you just got to quit. Because, see, he was mad because I started inviting him to my church. And so uh, I had to make this up-close-and-personal decision, which I thought really was overkill. I didn't, I'm not preaching it for anybody that this is what you have to do. I'm just telling you what I had to do. And I'm glad anyone else wouldn't have to do it, actually. But I had to do it. And so, uh, so I left the band. For 12 years, I was down in uh, Wilmore, Kentucky. Went to Asbury College. Took off and was, uh, Mike, a youth pastor at a Methodist church in Ashland, Kentucky. And then uh, I went to seminary, married Dorena, came back up. We were in our first year, I think, of, of my ministry up there, and, and this guy called me, my friend, my friend that kind of had a parting of ways. Came back to me and he said, uh, hey, Ron, I got to bring my wife to, to meet you and to talk with you. Well, I'd met him. I, I was in his, his wedding, but he wanted to tell me the story because his wife had, had been a Jewish girl, but he he got excited about Jesus Christ. And he's witnessing to his, his wife. And uh, lo and behold, she wanted to be a Christian and convert to Christianity. And they come to see me. And he said, I am so glad this began when you walked out because you were convicted that you said, you swear there's no heaven. And uh, now, 
I stopped there. Here's the rest of the story. I was with uh, Pastor Glenn and a couple other people. There's a, there's a pastor in our annual conference. His name is Steve, and he was dying. His kidneys shut down. And his, his skin looked so olive-colored, he could have blended in with uh, the Christmas tree. And I'm not making light of that situation. He was dying. And they couldn't find a match for him. But he had to at least have a kidney and a bunch of blood infusions and things like that just to live. And I, I had been involved in his being a candidate. He converted. He was a lawyer from William and Mary that converted and, and uh, went into the ministry, now dying. I just saw him at the district, uh, one of our district gatherings. And he came up and he hugged me. He, and he, I said, Steve, you look so good. He said, Ron, I just want to thank you. That one caught me way off guard. I, I, I'm, I was racking my mind. What in the world did I do? I haven't seen this guy in, in months. I mean, what's he thanking me for, you know? Then I just thought this. Darina must have sent him a card that I didn't know about. <laughs> and so I said, I said, well, I, uh, you're welcome, but I don't even know what I did. He said, well, you led to Jesus Christ. the guy who gave me the kidney. And it was a rare match. And he said, I just wanted to say, thank you for sharing Christ. Now, the first thing I want to say with you today is, I'm not worthy to be in this story. I didn't do anything but say, yeah, I, I don't think I can sing that song. Virtually every other event was nothing more or nothing less than Jesus Christ doing something. Never told the story to anybody, nothing. But I tell that story to you today to say, if you just will obey God in the little thing, not the big thing, you don't have to have a later brother of Jesus and move to Egypt. That's not what God's asking from you. He's just asking you that when he speaks to your heart to say yes, even to the smallest of things, like being true and not trying to teach other people, you can swear there ain't no heaven. And if you could by any chance just say yes to that, you'll be as amazed as I was amazed when a preacher got healed from a rare scenario because somebody that was formerly in that rock band found out that they can swear there is a heaven because Jesus Christ is not a liar, but he's true. And the world brings salvation then when you do one simple act. Yeah. We couldn't even tell all of the stories if we took the next three months and just let you come to the platform. Over and over and over again. You see, God gets up close and personal, and he asks simple acts of obedience, but don't just think they're isolated and ignore them. Because when you say yes, even to that one simple thing God is asking, you have become part of this story that gives everlasting life to God's world.
In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come and to sing. They've been so great to, to my heart today. God bless you as you sing your witness before we close the service. Do you want us to stand as you sing? Why don't, okay. Why don't we just sit down while, while they sing? Brothers and sisters, go in peace. The blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless and empower you all. Amen.